And now, the starting lineup for your Blue Notes podcast, Tom Franklin and the man called Wags. Hello and welcome to Blue Notes. I am one half of your Blue Notes team, Tom Franklin, joined by my teammates, the man called Wags. And we are your home for St. Louis Blues coverage on the Hockey Podcast Network. And that includes expert analysis, whether it's at Enterprise Center. When you're fighting for spots for the playoffs, one or two points could make the difference. And we'll be looking back at games like tonight here at Enterprise Center as lost opportunities. Or at home. Penalties, that was a big, big piece. You know, you're wearing down some of your best players because they're out on the, the ice for so many penalty kill opportunities. Just a complete breakdown. Blues first round pick, Jake Neighbors. Braden Chan texted me and then uh, the head coach, Craig Rube, reached out as well and um, Ryan O'Reilly as well. And then um, the next day on day two of the draft, uh, Tarasenko FaceTimed me. So uh, that was pretty cool. So. <laughs> and we're the only hockey podcast in the Hockey Podcast Network to have a Hawaiian hockey correspondent. The Hawaii Blues fan, Guy Bensing. In true Dan Kelly fashion, Dan Kelly says, F you, Keaton. I know who's the starting pitcher for game four of the World Series. You damn well know who the starting goalie is for game four of the NHL season. And then walked away. And we have a musician, too. Not only is he responsible for this fat beat you're listening to right now, but he has also performed absolute works of art. And it seems to me you played the game with a candle to your rear. Never wanting to leave the eyes when the pain set in. So check out Blue Notes wherever you get your podcasts from. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. I'm Tom Franklin reminding you to not be a chump, listen to Blue Notes, and always play to the whistle. A reminder that you can follow Blue Notes on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Blue Notes Pod. I'm the voice of the blues, Tom Calhoun. Welcome to New York. Devil's State of Mind podcast, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Now here's your host, Neil Villapiano. Woo! What is going on, Devils fans? It is once again your boy, Neil Villapiano, and welcome to another exciting edition of the Devil's state of mind podcast right here on the hockey podcast network the best place to get everything you need to know about your new jersey devils as always thank you guys so very much for tuning in and checking this episode out i greatly greatly appreciate you doing so 
We always have a lot to talk about. Today, we're going to be pretty much recapping the last three games that the Devils have played. We're going to talk about the second game between the Devils and Flyers and also the back-to-back matinees against the Buffalo Sabres. And there is a bunch to talk about. I got a couple things I need to get off my chest and also just a couple things that I've seen that I've really, really been impressed with. So we have a bunch to get to today. So let's not waste any more time and drop the puck. So we'll start with the game back on Thursday, the 28th of 2021, the second of the two games that are all against the Philadelphia Flyers. So obviously you guys are going to be listening to this on Monday, February 1st. So it'll be the first episode in the month of February. And we're just going to talk about what happened in this game, because honestly, there were just things that really, really frustrated me from the standpoint of, it's not that the devil's I look at it and say, oh, they're a young team. They're, they're learning it and everything like that. To me, it was more, I saw a lot of what I've seen from this Devils team from the last four or five years. And even into the Buffalo game and the way that they lost the first game against the Sabres on Saturday kind of gave me that same feeling. And I'll talk about it. But let's kind of recap the game first. So once again, the Devils came out like a house on fire. You know, they were aggressive. They were getting pucks to the net. I'm starting to notice a trend that the Devils usually get off to a good start the first five, ten minutes where they're getting shots, they're being aggressive, they're taking it to the other team. And, you know, sometimes they're able to get a goal or even two in some cases, but, you know, usually they end up not scoring. And if they don't get a lead, then they kind of fall back. There are certain trends that I've been noticing, even though we're less than ten games into the season. But sometimes you could pick up on these things very, very quickly. But like I said... The Devils got off to a very good start offensively. They were being aggressive, like I mentioned before. And once again, the Devils really didn't waste very much time because about seven minutes into the game, Severson got the puck as both teams were making a change, including the Devils. And Severson pretty much decided to bring it up like he was a forward. And he made a nice little move, you know, against the defenseman. And from the far right angle, took a shot that went top shelf over Carter Hart's right shoulder and into the net to give the Devils a one nothing lead. Now, that was great because I know that Lindy Ruff was talking about getting his defensemen to be more active in the offensive zone. And right there was an example of that. As Severson, he didn't just dump it in and then go for a change. He didn't just wait for the rest of, the, rest of his teammates to make a change and then move forward. No, he decided to take it amongst himself to go down and at least take a shot on goal. And it was a great shot in perfect position. And he got rewarded with a goal. And the Devils pretty much like right after that continued to be aggressive. But then the Flyers got the puck. And about two minutes after the Severson goal, Gustafson gets the puck where he's pretty much wide open on the far left side and takes what I consider to be somewhat of a harmful wrist shot. And there was a little bit of a scramble in front of the net and a flyer player poked it in. And that flyer actually happened to be Nate Prosser, who was playing in his first game for the Philadelphia Flyers. That was his first shift of the game. And he scored his first goal for the Flyers. I don't know if that's his first NHL goal. I could be wrong about that, but It wouldn't have been surprising if that ended up being the case because the Devils, as a lot of you guys have seen in years past, are one of those teams that typically gives guys their first NHL goal. I don't know if the Devils lead in that category over the last, you know, half a decade, but it seems like it happens more often to the Devils than other teams. And again, granted, 
I don't watch a lot of the other teams in the league that often, so I don't see it with other teams as much. But that's just my personal opinion on it. Nonetheless, Nate Prosser, fourth line guy, going to be really honest with you. You know, if any Flyer fan is listening to this, I, I don't think you could really argue with me about that. But again, Nate Prosser scores and the game ends up being tied one to one. And it would remain tied at one until the third period. And pretty much from the point when Prosser scored to tie the game until, you know, a couple minutes into the third, it really kind of seemed like the Devils, well, it didn't kind of seem like, it really was clear that the Devils were outplaying the Flyers. They were getting really good shots to net. They were being aggressive, but here was the issue. A lot of the shots were pretty much point blank. There wasn't a lot of getting, you know, tipping pucks or trying to get a little creative and firing from a tough angle to try to deflect it off somebody. It just seemed like that they were just kind of going through the motions. They weren't really trying to get going and really, you know, get a barrage of shots on Carter Hart. I mean, it seemed like to me at times that Carter Hart had a pretty easy time making saves. Scott Wedgwood, who at that time was playing in his fourth consecutive game, you know, continued to play well and had to make saves when he had to make saves. And then we go into the third, like I said, with the game still tied. And about four or five minutes into the period, Jack Hughes does the puck towards, you know, in, in the defensive zone. And he gets tripped up by, I think they, I think his name is Bonneman. I believe so. Bonneman trips him. No call is made. Bonneman keeps the puck, throws it out in front. The shot gets blocked. He gets it back. Got Wedgwood out of position. And he beat him, actually. But the shot, I think, hit off the post. It came out to pretty much a wide-open net. And Michael Roffel knocked it in to give the Flyers a 2-1 to lead. And it was just like, I don't know how they missed that trip. I mean, it was blatantly obvious. And they kept showing it over and over again. And it was clear that bottom and stick got tangled between Jack Hughes's legs. And he fell. And again, you know, that was a very frustrating situation. And the way the refs were calling you know, penalties in the first game against the Flyers and even in this game were very, very questionable. And I said before on the last episode, I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist or anything like that, but when it continues to be this consistent with the amount of calls being called against the Devils and, you know, a lot of teams getting away with basically murder in many ways, you know, not literally, but in many ways it seemed like from a hockey standpoint, it kind of makes you wonder. It kind of makes you think something... Something's going on here, just, just a little bit. But nonetheless, the Flyers got the lead and they pretty much put you know any sort of belief that the Devils had that they could come back and win that game and put it to bed. Because it seemed like after that goal, the Devils just pretty much fell apart again in the third period. And this was the second game in a row in which the Devils were tied going into the third period. And again, it was that belief, and I'm sure a lot of you other Devils fans out there would agree with me, it was that belief of, yeah, we could win this game. I mean, come on, we're outplaying them by so much. But the Flyers were in shock that, wow, we're getting our ass kicked in many parts of the scoreboard, but we're tied at one going into the third. And they just kind of woke up. And I know some people want to say, oh, the Flyers were basically just toying with the Devils. No, let's not not get ridiculous here, ladies and gentlemen. Let's look at it that the Flyers just basically were holding on for dear life and they were just lucky in many regards that the Devils couldn't capitalize on the opportunities that the Flyers gave them. But again, the Flyers had a two to one lead and then they would eventually make it three to one off a redirect of a Gustafson shot that was redirected by 
Claude Giroux, a double killer, and it made it three to one. And the Devils really didn't get anywhere near at all to getting at least one of those goals back and ended up losing the game by the score of three to one, dropping both games at home to the rival Philadelphia Flyers. The only positive I can say, honestly, from the two games against the Flyers is basically that at least Travis Konechny, who has something like 14 or 15 points in his career against the Devils, really wasn't a factor at all. Interestingly enough, I heard he got benched, I believe, on Saturday. He got benched, even though the Flyers won the game. He, he didn't play. And he and, and I think Elaine Vigneault said something like it had nothing to do with his play or whatever the case. It was certainly a surprise to me. But it seems like Travis Konechny has struggled to find you know, to get points basically in the last couple of games, but we'll, we'll see what happens, but we're not, we're done talking about the Flyers. Final score, like I said, three to one Flyers, Devils drop those two games and lose two in a row. And that was really demoralizing in many ways, because if you look at, you know, earlier that week or pretty much the end of the week, when the Devils beat the Islanders in a second of the two games in a row against the, against the Islanders, basically, you know, you got excited again, you got going and you got confident like I did saying, you know, hey, we could play with anybody. And even though you would say in regards for the most part that the Devils were competitive, for them to have this many opportunities, particularly on the power play, even if they didn't get a lot of calls, it was certainly frustrating. And it was something that I have seen over the last couple of years. And that was something I wanted to bring up here, but I'm not going to bring it up necessarily because I want to recap the first of the two games against the Sabres before I want to say what I want to say. But let's go to the first game between the Devils and the Sabres, which was on Saturday the 30th, 2021. It was the first of back-to-back matinee games. This was really weird. The first game was at 1 o'clock, and the second game was at 1 o'clock. I get it on Sunday because it was a getaway day because the Devils obviously got to travel to Pittsburgh to play back-to-back games in Pittsburgh to kind of finish this four-game road trip. But to have a matinee game on a Saturday was a really weird situation considering also the rest of the games on this on the docket basically in the NHL for both Saturday and Sunday were night games it was weird it didn't really matter to me that much because obviously you know you got the game out of the way and then you could go off and do whatever else you need to do to get your day going but the biggest you know biggest storyline of these two games was obviously going to be the devil's first chance against their former Hart Trophy winner 28 2018 Hart Trophy winner Taylor Hall when the as the Devils as we all know they traded him back in December of 2019 to the Arizona Coyotes but this was the first chance that Taylor Hall had to go up against his former team and obviously we all wanted to get all four points against them and have Taylor Hall have something like a minus five rating and let me talk about you know my feelings and what I have to say about Taylor Hall before I continue. Taylor Hall, I will always appreciate everything that he did in the three and a half years that he was with the New Jersey Devils. I mean, you got to give credit where credit is due to former general manager Ray Shiro for basically getting him for, you know, not basically, but he got him for Adam Larson. It was a one for one. It was, it's one of the most, in many ways, it's one of the most iconic trades over the last 10 years that we have seen. And again, for him to come in and be as impactful as he was to win an MVP, to help guide the Devils to the playoffs for the first time since 2012, and all the things that he did, it makes it that much more frustrating and disappointing that he couldn't stay with us long term. And I don't want to necessarily put a lot of blame on Taylor Hall, but I'm going to put some blame that 
his agent, the way that he does things, you know, he was very big on, I don't want Taylor Hall to talk about an extension or even, you know, possibly get one from the Devils or get a long-term deal until the season is over. And that kind of put the pressure on Ray Shiro and the organization to go out to get the likes of P.K. Subed, Nikita Gusev, Wayne Simmons to a lesser extent, basically to just try to make this team competitive enough, hopefully, and certainly on paper, to getting back to the playoffs, to give Taylor Hall some belief that the Devils were turning you know, everything and going in the right direction to becoming eventually a Stanley Cup contending team. But as we all know, the season fell flat on our face right away, and we knew by the time we got to the halfway point of the season, which was in you know mid-December, that probably the Devils were not going to make the playoffs and that Taylor Hall pretty much had no interest in staying long-term. So Ray Shiro did what he had to do and traded Taylor Hall to Arizona. Now, whether people want to say that they are happy for Taylor Hall, you know, and they, and they miss him and everything like that, look, I'm going to just put this out here and you could agree with me or disagree with me. I don't care. But Taylor Hall is not a New Jersey Devil anymore. I do not care what he does. He could score 50 goals for the Buffalo Sabres and win another Hart Trophy. I really don't care that much. Because for me, a lot of the time, not always, but a lot of the time, once you're no longer on the Devils, I don't really care what you do. I have certain affections towards players that had a specific meaning to me personally. I mean, when Martin Brodeur left the Devils and played seven, eight games with the St. Louis Blues, of course I wanted to see him do well. But at the same time, I still felt like, well, I mean, he's not a devil anymore. So it really is like, how is it benefiting any of us? You know, it was kind of that, kind of that thing. And, you know, I had a personal, like, I guess you would say admiration for Ryan Carter when he was a devil for a couple of years. And he obviously was a big contributor on the CBGV line, that fourth line that we all know back in 2012. And yeah, it sucked when he, you know, ended up, you know, leaving the devils. He got cut and got released by the Devils and then went to Minnesota. And, you know, I still watched him play and I was excited when he would score or do something great. But again, he wasn't on the Devils anymore. So I couldn't be as pumped. So when I see Taylor Hall playing for the Sabres and he's scoring goals and doing all these great things, it kind of irks me when I see Devils fans talking about like, oh, isn't it great that Taylor Hall's doing so well in Buffalo? No, it's not great. Because it, it, it affects us. Because guess what? They're in the same division as us. We still, we have to compete with them like we just did these past two games. So do you want to see Taylor Hall get six goals in two games and have the Devils lose both games? Do you really want that? Just because you still, you know, love what Taylor Hall did and everything like that? Come on. Like you got to be, you got to be a little bit realistic and you got to be understanding of like, he's in the enemy now. What if he was on the Rangers? Would any of us be like, oh, that's great that he's doing so well with the Rangers? No, none of us would be happy. So again, I appreciate and I thank Taylor Hall for all he did. But at the end of the day, it didn't work out because guess what? We are now a rebuilding team again. We have to rebuild a rebuild. And that's the frustrating thing. And that's the situation that we're in. And no, it's not all Taylor Hall's fault that were in this position. There were a lot of other things that went wrong, but because we had that pressure of trying to keep him, of trying to do everything we could to please him, it ended up hurting us. And now we have to regroup from that. Now, it certainly has worked out. We got a first round pick. We got Kevin Ball. We got Nick Merkley, who's done some good things here and there. So it kind of has worked out in a way. 
but obviously we won't know until the long term when Taylor Hall is probably towards the end of his career, Kevin Ball starts playing in the NHL, and Dawson Mercer, who we used that pick on, you know, starts doing stuff in the NHL as well. So again, guys, I love Taylor Hall and what he did as much as you guys. There's no question, but he is no longer on this team. So let's drop it. Let's forget about what he's doing in Buffalo and let's focus on the guys that we have that are representing the red and black that are representing New Jersey. Because right now, that's what's most important. Not the past, but the present and the future of this team. So that's all I wanted to say about that, but, you know, before I got into the recap here. But going back to this game, in the first period of the first game, both teams looked meh in the first period. It just it didn't seem like either team really wanted to establish the game. They were both coming off tough losses. Devils losing to the Flyers, Buffalo losing in overtime to the New York Rangers. And obviously, we all know Alexis Sofranier got the game winner, his first NHL goal, which, by the way, that's a pretty exciting way to get your first NHL goal. So good job for you, Alexis Lafreniere. Um, but I hope you do absolutely nothing against the Devils your entire career. That's just that's just me. But I digress. So again, the first period was meh. It was really nothing. And about halfway through the second period, we finally got a goal. But it wasn't the Devils. As the Sabres pretty much parted the red and black sea where there was three defenders and Taylor all had the puck. And he passed it to Eric Stahl, who was also on the Sabres this year. He actually got acquired from Minnesota in a trade. You know, Stahl just gets it. And he's wide open going right up the, the middle of the O-zone. And he beats Scott Wedgwood far side off the post and in. And the reason that I got angry about that was for two reasons. Number one, what happened to the defense there? Instead of coming down on Stahl to force him to pass it to the outside, you just went away and, and basically tried to get, you know, go a guard like you playing man to man almost in basketball, you tried to go guard the guys on the outside, but you're leaving the paint wide open. And that's basically what it was. And that was the thing that frustrated me first. The second thing was this. We all have seen the doubles hit the post seven, eight times over the last three games, and it doesn't go in. And how many times have we seen the other team hit the post and it goes in? That's what really got me upset. But again, obviously there isn't much you know, I could do about it. So, but I, all I did was just get very angry and the Sabres took a one nothing lead. And you no, know, look, the Devils, as the period progressed, started to get a little bit more aggressive. It just seemed like through the first 30 minutes that the Devils were, it seemed like they were out of gas in a way. Like it, it just, they couldn't, they couldn't really get anything going. And then this is what got me so unbelievably frustrated. So unbelievably frustrated. I believe it was in the second period. Jesper Bratt deked out a defender, which was great. And he drew not one, but two penalties. Two penalties on the same play. So the Devils got a five on three. So I'm like, great. This is a really good opportunity because we know the power play has been really, for the lack of a better term, it's been terrible since the season started. But now we have a lot of open space and you can really get shots to the net. You know how many shots the Devils had on that power play? None. None. They had a five on three for two freaking minutes and got no shots on goal. The Devils must lead the NHL in passes per game because all that's all the Devils did in those two minutes. Pass the puck, pass the puck, pass the puck. Try to do a fake shot. Pass the puck, pass the puck, pass the puck. And I was screaming at the TV, shoot it, shoot it. And they didn't shoot it. And so they ended up not scoring on that. And it was just, I, I tweeted this out. It's like, how does... 
How do we get a five on three and we come up with no shots? If we were on a five on three, you know, having it on the PK, we give up seven or eight shots and most likely a goal because our PK hasn't been that good. But it just, it blew my freaking mind. And I guess Mark Recchi is the guy that's in charge here of the power play. It, it just, here's the thing. It feels like at this point that it's not the coaching staff. It's not the organization. It's the players themselves. They just don't seem like they want to shoot it. We don't have enough guys in this team at times that want to be the aggressor that puts the puck on it. It seems like everybody wants to be passive. And this has been going on for years. If you guys have watched the Devils for seven, eight years now, especially over the last seven or eight years, how many times have we seen the Devils get on a power play and not shoot it? And when they do, sometimes it goes in and it's like, what a concept. You put the puck on net, good things happen. I mean, this is not rocket science here, ladies and gentlemen. This is not rocket science. This is simple hockey. This is how you play. When I watch other teams go on the power play against us, they get four, five, six shots. That should be the average of every power play. But everybody's looking for the perfect shot. Everybody's looking for this. Everybody's looking for that. It just, it didn't make any freaking sense to me. And for them to have a five on three and not score, and not even score, but not even get a shot on goal is unacceptable. And you, can, you should be fired for that. I mean, really, as a coach, you should be fired for that. And if I was Lindy Ruff, I would have called timeout right after that and said, do you guys want to be here? Like, do you guys want to play hockey? Like, do you guys want to be in the NHL? Like, what are you doing? Pucks to the net. Just fire it. I don't care. I don't care. Shoot it. Be aggressive. You have a two-man advantage. They have very, they have very little that they can do defensively to get in front of you. But because you made it so predictable with the amount of passes, the defenseman could just step in front of it, take it away, and clear it. And that, to me, is the most ridiculous thing. And it pissed me off to no end. And it pissed me off the entire game. The entire game. And I just, I couldn't figure it out. But then the Devils got a power play late in the first period, uh, late in the second period, excuse me. And Subban made a great pass to Ty Smith on a one-timer and he scored through a screen. And I stood up and I said, what a concept. You put the puck on that, good things happen. Like I just said, and we scored on the power play, which mind you, before that power play, the Devils were two for 20 on the power play. So now three for 21. Do you understand how bad that is? I mean, really, you understand how bad that is. You, you mean to tell me that one out of every seven power plays we score? That's one seven. Like, it just, I mean, I was frustrated. Like, I was happy that we scored and we tied the game. But it was frustrating because, well, we should be up two to one because we had a five on three earlier in the period and we didn't score. I mean, that's to me a joke. That's to me an absolute freaking joke. But nonetheless, the Devils tied the game. Ty Smith continuing to have a tremendous rookie year, getting his second goal of the year. And then we go to the third, with the game being tied. Mind you, this is now the third consecutive game in which the Devils went into the third tied with an opportunity to win the game. Things got really, really going in that third period. 97 seconds in, Jack Hughes made a great pass to Andreas Janssen, who threw a screen, I believe it was Montour, the defenseman that was kind of screening the goaltender there. Janssen goes top shelf over Linus Olmark's glove and into the net to give the Devils the lead. And that was Andreas Janssen's first 
goal as a devil. He got his first point against the Flyers, and now he gets you know his first his first goal. So now we're starting to see Janssen get going, which is great because obviously I was getting concerned about the fact that he was really struggling to get points on the board and he was moving up and down in the lineup to try to find chemistry. But it was great that he finally got himself going there. And it, it was certainly a surprise goal, no question. It surprised everybody, including myself. But the Devils got that lead and that was great. But unfortunately, it wouldn't last long. As just 40 seconds later, Tobias Reeder scored from a tough angle where it there was maybe a very small amount of room over Wedgwood's right shoulder as he was trying to hug the, hug the side of the post. But Tobias Reeder got it through that little opening and scored to tie the game at two. And that was, that was frustrating because I've seen that way too many times in the last couple of years where the Devils get a lead and they don't know how to act. I mean, they don't know how to correctly protect a lead. But nonetheless, the game ended up being tied at two. And then about seven or eight minutes later, Victor Olofsson scored through a screen on the power play halfway through the third period to give Buffalo a three to two lead. And at this point, and I hate being this way, but again, like I said before, because I've seen the Devils have games like this for so many years, I had already kind of accepted the fact that we were probably not going to win the game. But the Devils shut me up a little bit because about four minutes later, there was a little bit of a, you know, couple guys were pinned against the board right behind the Sabres net. And I believe it was Michael McLeod who passed the puck out in front. It hit off of Yanni Kokkonen. He got a little bit of a stick on it and he redirected it off of Allmark and into the back of the net to tie the game. And that was Yanni Kokkonen's first National Hockey League goal. In the same game that Andreas Janssen got his first point as a New Jersey Devil, Yanni Kokkonen got his first point in the, in the NHL. And right there was his first goal in the National Hockey League. So there were a couple of firsts, and that was great. And more importantly, the game was tied at three. And it would have remained tied going into overtime. And the Devils, for the most part, like they've done before in overtime, were the better team. And Jesper Bratt, who was only playing his second game since he got off of the quarantine, off the COVID list, and started playing with the team, got a breakaway opportunity to win it in overtime and the puck bounced over a stick. And I laughed because, again, I had seen that many times where the Devils get a breakaway opportunity, and not only do they not score, they don't even get a shot on net. And that frustrated the hell out of me. Are you guys, you guys noticing a pattern yet of how frustrated I am? And mind you, mind you, I am recording this on Sunday, January 31st. So I'm sure you're probably surprised as soon as I said that to say, why does he sound so mad? Well, again, when I'm done recapping this game, I'm going to tell you why. But the Devils didn't score in that overtime, neither the Sabres, and so we had to go to the dreaded shootout. And I was watching the game with a couple people, and I said, this is how it's going to go. All three shots that we take, they're going to be very little to have no effect, either you know, trying to go five hole or we're not even going to get a shot on goal. The Sabres are going to score right away on the shootout, and we're going to lose one nothing. Sure enough, Jack Eichel goes first. He beats Wedgwood far side, one nothing Sabres. Jesper Bratt comes in. You know, he tried to go from his forehead to his back, and he tried to do something similar to how he was trying to score in, in overtime, and he got denied. Then, obviously, Nikita Gusev shoots second, and he does his, his famous move where he tries to beat the guy five-hole, and Gusev 
I love you, man, but you got to come up with something else other than that because you're becoming very predictable. People can watch videotape on you and know how to you know, stop it. If you become that predictable, then all the goaltender has to do is just get in the butterfly position as soon as you come up with the puck and just be like, try to beat it. Just try. You, you're not going to, but you know, you could still try. But Gusev didn't score. And then Kyle Palmieri, who has had very little to no luck since the season started and is really struggling. And I'm really starting to wonder what exactly the hell is going on. He came up instead of Jack Hughes, which blew my mind. I didn't get that. And Palmieri decided to go to his backhand and didn't even lift the puck and got denied. And the Devils lost one to nothing in the shootout. Now, let me talk about what pissed me off over the game against the Flyers and then this whole game against Buffalo. I know that this team is young. I know that a lot of them are learning and a lot of them have very little to no NHL experience and every, every game is a learning, it's a learning experience for them. But if you're a longtime Devils fan and you've watched a lot of these games, how often have we seen the Devils lose games like this where they just fall apart, they lose a lead, they lose in a shootout, they don't even get a shot on, a decent shot on goal in a shootout and we lose, we just lose. Like how many times have we all seen that? How many years is it going to take before our power play is somewhat half decent? How many years is it going to take for us to be half decent in the shootout where we're not a running joke, where we go off on a streak of like 30 plus shootouts without, without winning one? We don't have Jakob Josephson. We don't have Reed Boucher. We have guys that can put the puck in the back of the net as they've already proven. And you mean to tell me that they can't score consistently in the shootout, I know, I know it's 50-50 and I know you're not going to score every time. But guess what? The fact that we struggle this much on the little things, on the fundamentals, tells me in many ways that to me, it's no longer coaching. It has to be the player's mentality because they're not, because it just, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's, it's been like this for years and we've had several coaches Pete DeBoer, John Hines, Lindy Ruff. And this stuff happens over and over and over and over and over again. And I watch other teams in the National Hockey League have five, six shots per power play. Other teams that could score more, you know, one, two, hell, sometimes three goals in the shootout if they need to, without any problems. And our team every year just doesn't do those things. Why? Why does this keep happening? Why does it not change? That's the definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. You're just throwing crap on the wall and seeing if it sticks. It's not. It hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. The last time the Devil's power play and shootouts were half decent was probably 2012 when we went to the cup final. And we had guys that shoot the puck and put the puck in the back of the net. We have guys that could do that. And you start to question things. Like you start to really go deep in your mind and you say, do we just not have good players? Is that really what it is? Do we just, have we just done a bad job of drafting and developing? And like, you really start to go into the depths of everything to try to come up with an answer for something that really should be simple, but it's not, not in the devil's case, at least. So for me, all I have to say to that is how they lost those two games 
and how they've lost a lot of games over the past couple of years, it's just you get so numb to it after a while where it's just, it's typical. We don't win in the shootout. I don't even remember the last time we won a shootout. What, New Year's Eve of 2019? Was that the last time we won a shootout? I mean, honestly, when was the last time we won a shootout? When was the last time we looked decent in a shootout? When was the last time our power play had five or six shots in one of them? And people want to say, oh, but Neil, we scored on the power play, you know, with Ty Smith. We've scored three power play goals in 21 tries. We had a five on three and got no shots. How can you defend that? You can't. There's no way to defend that. It's unacceptable. It's terrible. It's pathetic. It's disgusting. Do I need to say any more words to describe it? It's just terrible. And that's what frustrated me about those two games. And so you go into, you know, today's game. Like I said, I'm recording this on Sunday, January 31st. And, you know, look, I didn't, I didn't watch most of the game. I had to watch highlights because I actually went up to go visit my aunt before the massive snowstorm slash nor'easter that we're actually in the process of having right now. So that's fun. But yeah, it was great to see my aunt. It was her birthday, uh, turning 95. So happy birthday, Tati. Um, it was great to see her. And I, and like I said, I didn't watch most of the game. I got alerts on my phone. As you know, I try to live tweet as best as I can, but didn't do it today. Um, but yeah, well, you know, we, you know, it was, I, I didn't have positivity going into it. I, to be very honest with you, I fully expected us to lose this game. I kind of said, well, we're not going to win this game. And you get like in that whole negative state, which I don't like to get into, but, but like I just ranted about when, when you see these games happening over and over again, how can you expect to have any sort of hope or positivity that things are going to change and look better? But clearly, Lindy Ruff had to make some changes going into this one. The first one was obviously Eric Comrie, who, as we know, the Devils acquired via waivers from Winnipeg, was going to make his Devils debut. He was going to replace Scott Wedgwood after playing in five games in a row. And this was his first start since March of 2018. Nearly three years it took for Comrie to go from his last start to his first start with the Devils. And I will say that I absolutely love his helmet, you know, on one side. And I'm pretty sure if you guys haven't seen it, please go check it out. But if you, I'm pretty sure you guys saw it today on the game. If you watched it, you know, one side has Scott Stevens, Marty Berner, and the other side, Ken Danico, Chico Resch. I mean, he's already gotten a mask and, and that's one of the coolest ones for a devil's goalie I have seen. And, and I absolutely love it. And, you know, look, it was kind of one of these things where it's like, why not? Got to change something, right? Got to change something. And then we got some news right before the game started that Kyle Palmieri was going to be put on the COVID list. And that was like a, you got to be kidding me moment. Now, say what you want about Kyle Palmieri and how he's played this year. Yeah, he's looked, he, he's looked bad. There's no question about it. Maybe that's something to do with why he's on the COVID list. Some people wanted to say, oh, it's he was just a healthy scratch. No, they did confirm he was put on the COVID list 100%. So I'm really hoping that he's okay. And obviously, we also know that Travis Zajac, right before the team traveled to Buffalo, was put on the COVID list. So going into this game, you're down two important players. And that adds to you don't have Blackwood, you don't have Nico Heeshear, 
You don't have Kyle Palmieri. You don't have Travis Zajac. You don't have Aaron Dell. And you don't have Sammy Votnin. I mean, you're talking about, you know, main guys on your team that are out because of COVID slash injuries. But that was certainly a blow. And again, my confidence went down even further because of that. But the Devils actually made some moves. Nick Merkley was put back on the taxi squad. And the Devils called up Jesper Boquist and Mikhail Moltsev. Moltsev. And this was going to be his NHL debut. He actually got a lap by himself, you know, as warmups began. So Mikhail Moltsev got an opportunity to play, which was great. Again, another young guy given an opportunity to see what he can do. And Jesper Boquist, it was great to have him back. I didn't realize that he would he had been called until I turned the game on when I got home in the third period. I said, oh, look at that. But Jesper Boquist and Mikhail Moltsev both got into the lineup. So that was great. And I don't know what it was. Maybe the Devils were playing pissed off, but they wasted very little to no time getting on the board. 17 seconds in of a great pass that went past both blue lines from P.K. Subban to Michael McLeod. McLeod got a little bit of a breakaway, went backhand, forehand, and beat Carter Hutton to give the Devils a 1-0 lead. And that was like, whoa, that was impressive. That's a, that's a pretty remarkable start. One of the quickest starts I've seen the Devils have in a long time. And, and that was great. I mean, that was great. And the Devils, from what I saw, were, you know, again, great start to the game, were aggressive, and they kept it throughout the whole first period. And then with about 17 seconds left to go in the period, Ty Smith passed it over to the top of the point to Jesper Bragg, who took a shot that I think hit off of a Saber player. It then hit off of Andreas Janssen, went over the shoulder of Carter Hutton and into the back of the net for a goal. And all of a sudden, it's 2 nothing Devils. And Andreas Janssen's got points in three of his last four games with two goals and an assist. So now he's starting to get going. And for Ty Smith, he's already starting another point streak. I believe that makes it two or three now. I want to say it's two. Yeah, it's two because he didn't get a point in the second game against the Flyers. So that makes it now two games in a row. So we'll see if he can make it three against the Penguins uh, when they next play. But the Devils had a 2 nothing lead going into the first intermission. Now, if you're a Devils fan, especially over the last two years, did we think that the Devils were going to hold on to a 2-0 lead? If you did, you haven't been watching this team. And it really wasn't a surprise to what happened next. The Devils came out in the second period and had chances. Michael McLeod had an opportunity twice to get his second goal of the game and make it a 3-0 game, which would have really, really, I think in my opinion, would have put the game out of reach, in all honesty. But the Devils could not convert. And then the Sabres were able to pounce on a couple of opportunities. And they, tie, they, they scored the first goal of a blast from Rasmus Ristolainen that was deflected by Curtis Lazard into the net. And the Sabres were able to cut the deficit to one. And I already knew at that point, I said, they're, they're going to blow it. It's going to be two to two very quickly. And it took only a couple more minutes where on the power play, Rasmus Stalin had a blast from the top of the point, top of the blue line, and scored to tie the game at two. And at that point, when I was hearing it and we're driving home and I heard it, I, I was just like, they're going to lose this game. They're going to go once again, having a multiple goal lead. They're going to lose. They're going to blow the lead and they're going to lose it. And they're going to lose the whole game. And it was just like, here we go again. And trust me, don't tell me you, you know, I'm the only one that thought that. 
especially after the games that we've seen. Like, let's be honest here. But, you know, the Devils seem to regroup themselves and they were able to get a good penalty, you know, PK. And then with about four seconds left, Miles Woods got the puck. He's going, you know, it, it basically he's got a defender defeat to get a, a chance to get a shot on net. He gets a really good shot on net that was saved by Hutton. He got the rebound and was able to get it past the goaltender and into the net with six tenths of a second left to give the Devils a three to two lead going into the third period. So we so we avoided having making it a fourth straight game being tied going into the third as the Devils were able to grab the three two lead. Moss would get his fourth goal of the year. And it's amazing to me because I remember at the beginning of training camp, Miles Wood was talking about, you know, being more of a leader, putting more pressure on himself to lead by example. He's not one of the young guys anymore. To be honest with you, I've been very impressed with what Miles Wood has done so far this year. And he continued to impress me going into the third period. Michael McLeod as well. That line of Miles Wood, Michael McLeod, and Nate Bastion were the devil's best line this game. I mean, without a doubt. And then we go to the third period and it was like, okay, got to find a way to get a couple more goals to put this one away. Even, you know, even with us struggling to hold on to leads, we got to find a way to hold on to this one. And that didn't happen as about half, you know, about at the 13 minute mark, I believe it was Ristolainen got a shot off of a rebound on the power play and got it past Comrie to tie the game at three. And once again, I started to go, uh-oh, here it comes. We've already blown out two leads in this game and we're tied again. And it was just like, this, this is so frustrating. But the Devils were not done scoring. As a couple minutes, as several minutes later, Miles Wood, who was from a tough angle behind the Sabernet, passed it out in front of Michael McLeod and he was able to get it past Hutton for his second goal of the game. And more importantly, he gave the Devils the lead. And that gave Michael McLeod his third goal on the year. And it's just like, wow, he got his first you know, NHL goal a couple of games ago against the Flyers. And now he's starting to show his offensive capability. And he's really growing on me. And I'm so happy for him because I know how much flack he's gotten over the last couple of years. We have to remember, he's only 22, 23 years of age. And maybe... You know, he's a late bloomer, and maybe now this is the opportunity that he's been looking for to start, you know, scoring. Once he got the first one, now it's going to come in waves. And he looked great in this one as he was able to get his second goal of the game to give the Devils a 4-3 to lead. And the Devils were actually relatively aggressive until, obviously, the Sabres had to pull Carter Hutton for the extra attacker. And it was just like they were struggling to even just get it out. They had a couple opportunities with an empty freaking net, which is another thing we struggled to do, score empty net goals, but we kept icing it. But then there was a, you know, scramble to the side, you know, against the board. Sharon Govich was there. He got it over to Zaka, who got it to Miles Wood. He fired it down from, you know, almost, you know, he fired it from nearly, nearly one, one net to the other and scored an empty net freaking goal to make it five to three which gave Miles Wood his second goal of the game and his third point of the game. And that put the game away and the Devils won 5-3 to three in regulation. And what makes this win so much sweeter was that the Devils finished getting three out of a possible four points in Buffalo. 
And that to me was just like, I didn't realize that until the game was over. I said, wow, Buffalo only got two points. We got three. So that was a win for us. You know, 1-0-1 oh, to start this road trip going to Pittsburgh. That's great. You know, I, I felt a lot better because we found a way to win that game despite blowing the lead twice. I mean, that to me was great. And there were a couple of points that I wanted to mention from these two games. First thing was that Taylor Hall had two assists in the two games that he played against the Devils. He was somewhat of a factor, but I think the Devils did a good job of shutting him down. So even though we couldn't keep him completely off the score sheet, it was great to prevent him from scoring a goal. Michael McLeod, he's really starting to get his offensive game going. Two goals and an assist in the two games. Miles Wood as well, getting to five goals on the season with a two-goal performance in the second game. He also added an assist to give himself three points. And Andreas Janssen, a goal in both games against the Sabres. And he's starting to get going offensively. And then shout out to Eric Comrie, who got his first win in nearly three years, stopping 30 of 33 shots. He made some great, some great cross-crease saves to rob guys like Jack Eichel and Olofsson from scoring. I mean, we could have lost this game very easily, but Comrie just made some great saves to put to give the Devils a chance to eventually grab the lead again and win this one. So shout out to him. I don't know if he'll get a chance to play against Pittsburgh in any one of the games. Hopefully he does, but it's great that we have that. And we know that Arundel is coming soon, and it'll be interesting to see what the Devils do you know, with either Comrie or Wedgwood, but that was just a great victory. And it was somewhat of an emotional one considering what happened the game before and the game before that. And for them to get more adversity with Kyle Palmieri going on the COVID list. But for them to get three out of possible four points against the Buffalo Sabres, like they did against the Boston Bruins to start the year, that's pretty big. And so the Devils moved to four, three, and two. And now their next two games will be against the Penguins. These are the games for this upcoming week. They, are, they have two games against the Pittsburgh Penguins in Pittsburgh. So that's going to be another tough test. And then they have a matinee at home against the New York Rangers. And I got to tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen, what I just heard about Tony D'Angelo, you know, getting waved by the New York Rangers. And then what followed with that apparently was an altercation of this fight after their loss against the Penguins between Alexander Georgiev and Tony D'Angelo, I, I, don't, I don't know how Tony D'Angelo will get another opportunity unless he changes his, his ways because what he has done on social media and also on the, you know, and, and with his teammates, he, he makes it, he, even though he may have some talent, he makes it very difficult to be around him. But we're not going to, we, we're not going to talk about that. But still, it was a crazy story. Crazy story. Go look it up if you haven't heard about it yet. Just type in Tony D'Angelo. This is nuts. Absolutely nuts. Didn't think it was true at first, but apparently it is. But those are the next three games that the Devils will be playing in. The only game I'm going to be covering for the episode on Thursday will be the first game against Pittsburgh. And then the, the episode after that, I will be covering the second Pittsburgh game and the game against the New York Rangers. So those were the recaps of the three games that we happened between the last episode and this one. I had to do a little bit of ranting and I just wanted to finish real quick with just some updates about some players on this team. I kind of said it earlier, but I'll say it again. The biggest news that we got was Sammy Botnin 
as we were told by Erica Walker, got his work visa and is actually in New Jersey today. The 31st of January was his first day. And we were told that he has to test negative for about seven days, for seven days, basically. And on the eighth day, he is ready to go. So it looks like that he could either make his Devils debut this season, either on February 6th against the Rangers or February 9th against the Penguins at home. That, again, if he tests negative, because if he tests positive, it's going to be longer. But hopefully, you know, that's not the case. Nico Kishir, you know, forgetting about that, that freaking article, Nico Kishir is progressing. I saw a picture on his Facebook. He looks good. Devils have said that he's doing really well. He's skating now. So it's just getting closer and closer. We don't really have a specific time frame as to when he's going to be ready to go, but he's progressing, and that's the important part. Aaron Dell should be coming off of the COVID-19 list soon, maybe around the same time as, or a little bit earlier than Sammy Bodden. I don't know. And it'll be interesting to see what Lindy Ruff decides to do with the goaltending situation. And, you know, that, that's good news as well. The tough news is obviously Mackenzie Blackwood is still on the COVID list and we really don't have very much information, you know, as to when he could return. Travis Zajac, like I told you guys, Prior to the Devils traveling to Buffalo, he was put on the COVID list. Kyle Palmieri was put on the COVID list prior to the second game against Buffalo on Sunday. And Connor Carrick as well. So Connor Carrick, who has not played at all this season, has been a scratch. Sorry, including Will Butcher, is on the COVID list. Will Butcher is not on the COVID list. He's just been a scratch, which I kind of wonder when he's going to get an opportunity to actually play. That's kind of an interesting thing. Same thing with Connor Carrick, but... Carrick and Palmieri are now on the COVID list as well. So that gives the Devils now five players that they have on the list. And so that's, excuse me, four players, five. Yeah, five players on the list or six, actually six. Because you have Botanin, you got Dell, you got Mackenzie Blackwood, Zajac, Palmieri, and Connor Carrick. So I don't know when any of these guys are going to be back. Just more adversity for this team. But for them to fight and get three out of four points against Buffalo, Everything that I said, everything that was frustrating, and everything in between was just great. And we'll see how they do against Pittsburgh. Another tough test. We'll see what they do against the Rangers later on this upcoming weekend. But bottom line, folks, is this. There's some things that the Devils got to do to change if they want to become a winning team. And hopefully, Lindy Ruff and his staff can get this team to change those things so that we can really see progression and continue to make this future very bright because I've said before, the future of this team is bright. And let's see what happens going into this week. What's going on, Devils fans? It's your host, Neil Villapiano. Thank you so much for checking out this edition of the Devils State of Mind podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network, the best place to get the most up-to-date news about your New Jersey Devils. If you want to check out more of the podcast, here's what you do. You go wherever you listen to podcasts, so that could be Spotify, that could be iTunes, that could be Google Podcasts, you know, wherever you listen to podcasts, you go and you search Devil's State of Mind, and you will find the new episodes that we post every week on both Mondays and Thursdays. Please also go check out the Hockey Podcast Network as a whole. We have podcasts for all the teams in the NHL, as well as other great hockey podcasts, so just like with Devil State of Mind, just search Hockey Podcast Network and you can see all the podcasts that we have on this great network. 
You can follow the Devil State of Mind on social media. You can follow us on Twitter at Devil State, and you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Devil's State of Mind. Make sure to also follow the Hockey Podcast Network on all social media platforms. Just search at H-O-C-K-E-Y, Hockey, P-O-D, Pod, N-E-T, Net. If you want to listen to more of my voice, go like and subscribe to the Mofobo Network Sports Podcast, where I talk about all things going on in the wide world of sports. New episodes go out every Monday and Thursday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, go like and subscribe to the Mofobo Network Sports Presents channel on YouTube, where just like the podcast, I talk about different topics that are going on in the world of sports as well. New videos go out every single Tuesday on YouTube. So it's spelled M-O-F-O-B-O Network Presents, and you will find it. Again, new videos out every Tuesday. You can stay up to date with all the new episodes and videos by following me on my personal Twitter at T-H-E-N-V-P-S-H-O-W, my personal Instagram at N-V-P-Q-B-11, and also Mofobo Network on Facebook. And last, but certainly not least, go check out both my books on Amazon and Barnes and Noble right now. The first is J-E-T-S, Pain, 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 The Agony and the Ecstasy, Nah, no ecstasy of being a Jets fan. This book is about all the pain and suffering of being a New York Jets fan. So from all the painful moves, painful games, painful player decisions, painful ownership decisions, you know, where, you know, anything we could think of, it's in this book. So this is really for the Jets fan. So if you're a Jets fan, a football fan, if you know some one of those, or if you just want to support me, go check out that book. The other book that I just published recently is titled Meet the Mets Mess, the R-E-G-R-E-T-S of New York Town. This one is all about the regrets of being a Mets fan. And even through world championships in 1969 and 1986, there was so much regret between those years, between those years, as well as the years following 1986. Both of these books, are available for both hardcover and ebook for the price of 1969. So if you're a Jets fan or a Mets fan, or by some chance you're both, you probably guessed why I chose that price. So again, please go check out both of those books. The first one, J-E-T-S, Pain, 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 The Pain and Suffering of Being a New York Jets Fan, and also Meet the Mets Mess, the R-E-G-R-E-T-S of New York Town. But once again, thank you guys so much for checking out this edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast. My name is Neil Villapiano, and we will see you in the next episode. Everyone continue to be the amazing people that you are, you know, every single day. You know, always remember to just be yourself and continue to kick absolute butt. And one last thing, rock on. Woo!